Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with business coach Renee Warren. Renee is an award-winning entrepreneur, grew her globally recognized PR agency in the same year that she had two babies, a speaker, an author, and the founder of We Wild Women. Her mission is to inspire over a million women to start their dream business. When she's not mommying or running her businesses, she plays drums and hosts the Into the Wild podcast, which is exactly where I came across Renee's profile and love the podcast, started following her on Instagram and reached out to see if she'd be interested in coming onto the show. And she was an absolute yes. We had a great conversation. We talked all about what it takes to build a business and how to be clear on your values in your values, not just in business, but in your life and your marriage and as a mom and what that looks like. We just talked about a lot of things that she went through and she shares so many nuggets and knowledge with you here to help you if you are in that space of wanting to create something different in your life and learning how to let go of that mommy guilt that a lot of people hold on to. This is such a powerful episode. And I know if you are out there really wanting to create something different in your life, you will have so many takeaways from it. Welcome to the show today. How are you today, Renee? Amazing. So much. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you here. We are like a few days shy of Christmas. So we're just jamming. Here we are connecting online and meeting for the first time. So I really Mm. look forward to sharing your story with everyone. Thanks for having me. Tell everyone where you're from. Originally born and raised, well, born in Sault Ste. Marie, um, but grew up Grew up in North Bay, Ontario. Wow, girl. Yeah. You are used to snow then, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. And cold. <laughs> and cold. <Yeah. laughs> Do you have a book that has been impactful for you? Yes. The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. And oh, that's that- actually a recent book. So Vishen is the founder of Mind Valley. Mm-hmm. And yes. he wrote the book and Honestly, had I read this book two years ago, I don't even know when it came out, probably didn't even exist then. It wouldn't have landed on me the way it did Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And it is just a beautiful tale of looking at the world from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm a person that doesn't necessarily believe in like a God or Allah, but Mm -hmm. I believe in what other people believe in. So, hey, if that's what you believe in and that's what makes you happy and you feel connected then absolutely and what he talks about in the book is this connection to humanity so i realized in all of this and it took me forever to understand why don't i believe in god um 
I have friends who believe in God. I grew up in a Catholic household and I felt ashamed but up until recently. I realized I'm a humanist and that oh, book I... made me real. And the moment that I made that connection to this belief in something that wasn't me and a bigger power um, was the moment that I realized how we're all connected. Oh, I love that. And I think, I think right now, especially at this time, like that connection, that is such a powerful piece. Oh yeah. It was Mm -hmm. huge. Yep. Mm -hmm. Do you, I will definitely look that one up. Do you have a quote or a mantra or something that you use to ground you? I love Stevie Nicks and I hope to meet her someday. Um, but she says, if you're gracious, you have won the game. Um, I, that was a paraphrase, but the whole idea is, is being gracious means that you've already won. And I think that is foundational for everything you do in life, being a partner, being a wife, a husband, a parent in business is just Mm -hmm. be gracious. I love that. I love that. What drives you? Like what lights you up and keeps you fueled? Seeing women step outside their comfort zone and starting a business or growing their business. Because I genuinely believe we need to see more women in positions of power, more women leaders, more women in politics, more women CEOs, because there's not enough women at the table. And Mm -hmm. if we need to build a bigger table, then, then let's do it. If we need to make our own table and no one else is allowed to sit with us, then so be it. But we bring a different level of energy, a different perspective that we just, we just need to be there and we're not, not enough. No, not enough. Absolutely not. I was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Harder, but I've, yes. I've followed him for a while and he did a, I was, I think it was a, I don't know if it was a story or a post and he talked about, we need to put money in the hands of women more. We need yeah, to build okay. female entrepreneurs because they just give back in ways that a lot of us don't think of. He said, it's not that we're bad. It's just, we don't give back and think of making that impact in the same way that most women do. So we need to build more successful female entrepreneurs. Yeah. His wife, Lori is amazing. Um, so there, I love his podcast for the love of money. It's a good, it's a good message because Mm -hmm. essentially what he says is the more that you earn, the more you can give back. And there's mm-hmm. this shame behind making a lot of money. And I, I, w- I was used to be that person. Um, but now I know that the more money you make, the more you can actually give back. You can create scholarships. You can donate to charity. You can employ more people. And Endless. so the power, especially with women, is like some of the top CEOs of the world are women. Mm-hmm. And they're not recognized enough. Oh, I love this already. Absolutely love this already. So you, we're going to go back a little bit in your story and you decided to start your business at a time where most people would have never even thought of starting a business. Is that, is that fairly accurate? Yeah. Maybe start my fifth business. Fifth business, (laughs) not your first business. No. What was your first business? A restaurant. restaurant. I was 17 years old and I started with my sister and we worked, it was seasonal, so it was summertime. We worked in it, um, like, I don't know, whenever you open up summer seasonal rush, I don't even know. I mean, that was a long time ago. But we did it for four years, and wow. we paid for school. We hardly ever had a debt. Just that was that was kind of the 
the impetus of understanding finances mm-hmm. because like the moment you're employing your mom's friends, it's a big wake up call. <laughs> but it's, yeah. I can imagine, right? Like you don't want to see that fail. So you just keep yeah. working and you dig in. So you would have learned some pretty interesting skills. What do you think is the number one skill you learned at 17 years old running a restaurant? Yes. Consistency. Mm. Hands down, it was the, so this little restaurant was on the, on the edge of the lake that I grew up on. And in the summertime, you could literally see my friends on a boat, boating around, having the time of their life when you're 17, 18 years old. And I was cutting French fries in the back restaurant, flipping burgers, making shakes. And I was like a little bit jealous and envious, but I was making good money. Mm-hmm. And I realized in all of this that the lesson learned was the consistency. The days I did not want to be there has dragged my heels. But when you show up, when you have this intention, you get in your car to leave to go to the place you don't want to be at, it changes everything. It's just, it's showing up. So the consistency was the thing that kept me going to this day, keeps me going. I love that. I absolutely love that. Can I ask you what kind of, like that's in, that in itself at 17 is pretty powerful to be in that position. What was the factor for you that you said, you know what, this is an opportunity and we're going to do this. <laughs> Cause I thought at 17 that entrepreneurs didn't work a lot and they made a lot of money. So oh. why would I get a job and work for anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> not Oops. quite, but yes, yes. <laughs> but I got to be creative. I got to, yeah. like, if I had this crazy idea or a marketing idea, I could go with it. I didn't have to ask for anybody's approval. There was no bureaucracy. It was like, do it. If it works, amazing. If not, don't do that again. Oh, see, then you take out the aspect of overthinking too many things. You just like, just try it, see how it goes. And then yeah. almost pivot or course correct if you need to. So for exactly. four years, you did this. This is, wow, that's yes. impressive. What did yeah. you do after that? College. I did college, undergrad, mm-hmm. grad school, traveled Australia for a year, got a one-year working mm-hmm. visa after I graduated my undergrad, nice. went to Australia alone. And my sister eventually met me there and just traveled um, worked for like odd jobs here and there on mm-hmm. apple picking, apple packing in a hotel, in a hospital, and then came home and worked for my father's friend's company mm-hmm. in which they wanted to train me up. So they had me do like night school to do like accounting and all these things that I didn't really understand in business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately my father's friend passed away. And so all of a sudden now this opportunity for me to come in and be an executive in this company no longer existed. So then I did grad school. And then after that, I was living in Toronto. I lived in Toronto for quite some time. Wow. And so then you start to go into another business that you own. So I did, I had a real job for Mm -hmm. almost two years, (laughs) which was like really weird. Um, (laughs) But in that time, I was doing some marketing consulting on the side, Mm -hmm. and I actually met my husband by doing this work. And then after two years, I I loved my former employers. They were amazing. Mm -hmm. Small company. It's still in the same space. So it was an organization that trained small businesses. And so something was just like, Mm -hmm. I always needed to be doing this. Then I met my husband, and then him and I like lived in San Francisco. Now we're on the East coast of Canada. 
Nice. Nice. And so then as it comes up to, you were eight months pregnant when you started your PR agency? Yes. Wow. (laughs) Tell us about that time. So I had a business partner and at the time we were doing some work together, she was in PR. I was doing a lot of content marketing, social Facebook ads before there were really any Facebook ad agencies for startups in the Valley. And the, these startups needed help in PR. And I was like, well, I know of a girl and like, we could work, we work together. Um, and then she was on the East coast of Canada. So when I came home one summer, like super pregnant with my first son, Max, uh, we went out for lunch and I was like, why don't we just go into business together? It's like a proposal. And she's like, looking at me, looked at my belly. She's like, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> well, it worked out. We founded the company and mm-hmm. had Max. And I say we, because I feel like she was part of the process too. Oh, I'm sure. Grew that business. But after Max was born, my second son, Noah was, love like he was born 11 months later. So in the first year of business, I launched a company had two babies moved and my husband had his startup acquired and started a new one. Oh my goodness. That must've been such a, my boys are 14 months apart. And I just, I remember so clearly my oldest wasn't walking when I had my youngest. So it was just this like two babies, baby and baby. And it was such a, such a time. So wow. All of that in there. That's amazing. Now, what do you think you learned during that time? What are some of the takeaways? I can't even remember those okay. days. <laughs> no, I'm so glad no, you actually said that. No, no, no. There was, um, there were, what we had to do, which went against my indoctrination growing up was that we had to be- apply business-like philosophies to our family life. So we created operations manuals and procedures and systems we used, mm-hmm. like normal things you would use to manage your team and contractors yep. we used in our family. So we had a project management system. We had Google Docs. We have weekly meetings to this day. We still have weekly meetings, my husband and I. I'm the CEO wow. of the household. He's the COO, CFO. We have okay. our roles. They're very clearly defined. And we have quarterly retreats where we go and we work on our relationship. We work on our oh, businesses. We, so we treat our family life foundationally like a business. And I know some people are like, oh, that just Mm-mm. doesn't click with me. Yeah, It's about setting up automation within your core family so that it just runs a lot smoother. An example would be, I have one night of the week off and so does my husband. So every Tuesday night I go to my drum lessons and then I can come home and do whatever I want. I don't have to make dinner, lunches. I don't have to put the kids to bed. It's my time. His night's Wednesday. And if we, Hey, we want to be with the family. Cool. But there's no obligation. And I know that night is my night, no matter what, every week. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I talked to some people like, well, you know, I haven't had a night off in nine years. I'm like, that's great. I mean, if you feel like that's a badge of honor, I, I don't, I don't agree with it. I feel mm-hmm. like you, you're a mother a hundred percent, but you're still you like you're, there's still you underneath all of this. You're not just a mother. You're not just a wife. You're not just, you know, a business partner or an entrepreneur. There's the person, if you lose all these things that create your identity, who are you? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm a girl that likes to read a book in a bath. <laughs> like <laughs> that's still me. And yeah. I need that to recharge myself. Oh, so here's... in that going back to that time, what I know is we created these systems because, and we really had to take these like, like I said, the indoctrination, these belief systems of like how I was raised and put that on a shelf because 
if I raised my kids and ran my family the way my parents did, and there's nothing wrong with the way my parents did it. Mm -hmm. I love my parents. Great mm -hmm. childhood. I just don't agree with some things. Mm -hmm. If I raised my kids the way I was raised, this would be a completely different scenario. I would not be an entrepreneur. And I, I would be nine to five, Monday to Friday, two weeks of vacation every year. And that doesn't work for us. There's nothing mm. wrong with it. It no. doesn't work for us. And so we created our own. We actually have a family mission statement. We have a family purpose. We have core values. We have an operations manual for our family. I just love this. Like, I absolutely love this. Don't I do. I think it's fantastic. A lot of times with clients, one of the first things that I have them do is we go through what are your values? Like what, and they're, they're like, what, what do you mean when you're my values? And I'm like, if you don't know yours and you don't talk about that with your spouse, it's hard to like, then it becomes a case of like together, where are you at? What's important to you together? And that's yeah. as you're describing your family mission statement, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. Our core values spell G cash. G cash. <laughs> yeah. It's growth, community, adventure, spirituality, and health. So every Friday we meet and we score our family on out of 10 on those things. So growth, what did we do this week as a family or individually that contributed to growth? Mm -hmm. What did we do um, community wise? Who like, did we donate to a charity? Did we give to the food bank? Did we have a communal dinner? What did we do? Adventure. What did we do this week? That was like a little bit outside our comfort zone. Spirituality. Have we meditated or had alone time to top up our mental state and health? How have we been eating, sleeping, drinking water mm -hmm. and working out as a family? So every week, that's what we reflect on. It's interesting too, because you're, you're, kids are exposed to this from such a young age that this is a normal conversation that you are, yeah. that you take part in. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Yeah. I, and it's wow, funny, it they'll, they'll, there'll be some days where, cause so my husband's doing this thing called 75 hard where it's 75 oh, yes. days, mm -hmm. two workouts a day, one inside, one outside, um, gallon of water, read 10 pages of a book. So he's on like phase two of this. So there's like these pretty strict guidelines mm -hmm. and my kids see that. And so there'll be days where like, Oh, I'm going to go five days without sugar. And I'm like, good luck. <laughs> and it's like, but they know it's like they eat chicken and we say, Oh, chicken has protein. So it helps build your muscles. So they'll eat a bite of chicken. And they'll be like, look at my muscles, mama. Like, well, gonna have to work out too, but yes, they see it and kids mimic everything for the most part that we do as parents. And so mm -hmm. the way we say things, the way, how we believe, um, it's more like do what I do, not what I say, mm -hmm. because that's setting the example. So seeing us working out, seeing us making healthy dinners and reading and connecting with people that matter, it's important to them. It's the best lesson. Oh, those are fantastic lessons. I absolutely love that. I love it. So you built this when you were in some of your craziest, busiest times. And did you stay with that for how long did you stay with that company? Or is that where you so, are working with now? No, the company was about six years old. Okay. When it's just, I was burnt out. We had mm -hmm. clients from South Africa to San Diego and we were working wow. so many hours, just like time zones and contracts and pitching mm -hmm. media. And it just got to the point when I just like, I was so burnt out physically. My body was talking to me emotionally. Mm -hmm. I was just not with it. I wasn't a nice person and I sensed it. I would say something and right after I'd be like, what am I doing? 
it's it's interesting because do you okay. think that because oh gosh don't worry do you no. think one second <laughs> okay one second boys <laughs> it's all good it's all good it's all good do you think that because you were so in tune to what your values were that it made some it easier for you to see that you were you were burnt out or that you were off the track of where you wanted to be so the values came after okay the, got it the physical symptoms of burnout yeah. um but it took me being in this beautiful like sisterhood accountability group when I was in a hot seat talking about my issues. And one woman said, Hey, Renee, do you think maybe you're burnt out? And I was like, no, yeah. burnout is for people that work a hundred hours a week and they work on wall street and blah, blah, blah. like they're not, it's not for me. Mm. And she's like, no, no, no. It's especially women, especially mothers, especially women that have kids that run businesses. Um, and then I was like, well, what are the signs? And then she told me, I was like, oh, okay. So then as soon as I started recognizing that it's like the moment you stop or pause, it's almost like, like physiologically your body reacts. Mm -hmm. And that's what I just started getting like stomach pains and exhaustion and just like all these things. And I was like, I'm burnt out. Yeah. And how long does it take to recover from a burnout? Like how it, 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 everybody's different. I know. I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm just curious on your thoughts on yeah. it because well, I think a lot of women me, can relate. When she told me, she's like, you should start reflecting on this now because it can take years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh no, no, like, no, I'm fine. But then I started reflecting on it. It took me two years, a two years and a failed business in that time mm -hmm. to, for me to realize I was so burnt out. Oh, wow. So you then decide that when you build your business, your current business, you're building it with a little bit different intentions, right? Because you don't want to, you want to do what you love, create the impact, yep. but not burn out. Yep, mm -hmm. exactly. So this for me, it was like, I know the triggers in all of this mm -hmm. and I can't do agency work because especially with PR, it's like, you're on call all the time. Your clients are calling you midnight and like, Oh, something happened. No, I can't do that. With mm -hmm. this, I do, I coach female entrepreneurs. I have incredible women from all over the world I work with. And I've set those boundaries from the very beginning mm -hmm. because the triggers for me is the expectation to reply to them when they reach out. Could be a phone call. It could be a Voxer or WhatsApp, an email. And I said to them, okay, I will get back to you within 24 hours in a business day. Mm -hmm. right? So if it, you message me Friday night, it might not be till Monday, but if I'm feeling good, I'll reply. If it's an emergency, they can call me. They know that it 99% of time. It's never an emergency, but understanding the triggers for my burnout last time, I put those literally into my contracts this time so that I was never overstepping my boundaries. There's something I really love about what you've just said there. First, you've said the word boundaries, which I love. I think that that's not something that women tend to practice enough of and listening to what we need. And I think that recognizing the triggers, recognizing what they are, calling them out ahead of time and doing it in a way that you're not judging yourself as yeah. in like, why can't I do this? It's it yeah. for what, for whatever reason, I don't know where that comes from, but there's this ridiculous expectation of what we're supposed to be able to do or not do. And we put that on ourselves and that is, and it just yep. makes it impossible to try and be all things to everyone. And then including yep. ourselves at the same time. 
Exactly. You lose your identity when you're trying to please the people you don't even like. (laughs) I remember. So when Max, my oldest was five weeks old. Mm -hmm. So he went to daycare full time and most places don't take kids that young, but my sister-in-law ran a daycare and she goes, well, we'll be fine. So we'll take them. And the a backlash. It was so disgusting and so shameful. Women are were like, aren't you breastfeeding? I'm like, oh, does no. it matter? That's none of your business. It's not. Um, what about your, your kid's health? Like that's exposure to so many germs, like all of these things. And I was like, okay, A, my kid's in trusted hands. It's not like I just threw Cheerios on the floor and I said, survive for the day. Mm-hmm. I had a team to run. I had clients. I was actually excited to go to work. Mm-hmm. And so the shame came from the way they were raised and the expectations of them and telling me these things was a reflection of their beliefs. And like, it took me years to realize, like, I just need to ignore them Mm -hmm. at just the converse. And then, so when Noah was born a few months later, he also went to daycare full time when he was five weeks old and the same thing happened. But this time I'm just like, you know what? Delete, ignore, Mm -hmm. unfollow. I don't need somebody like, you and I don't have to agree on how we raise the kids, but as long as they're mentally and physically as healthy as you can allow them to be, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter. Like, I don't believe in breastfeeding my kid till they're 19 years old. <laughs> Some women do, right? Like, that's just an exaggeration. Good. I just, I don't <clears throat> agree with that because I don't think it's necessary. Um, however, if that's your, that's what you want to do, it's your prerogative. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Your kid's healthy and happy. That's all that matters. So it took me a lot of hurtful conversations to get through it and be like, you know what? I'm going to raise my kids according to my standards with my husband that we agree on. Mm -hmm. And this even went against like my parents' norms, Mm -hmm. what my parents believed. It went against some, what my friends and the good friends, they didn't leave. They stayed and they were fascinated by my approach. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But we still stayed friends. You can have differing opinions. This is where it gets so interesting, right? You can have differing opinions on things. And there's such a polarizing time, especially right now, but polarizing that, you know, this is right. This is wrong. You are, you can't have different opinions, but I do think we can have different opinions and we have to do what works best for us. And during some challenging times, I ended up creating some real physical boundaries with family and friends saying, I, I don't have the bandwidth to take on what you're dealing with. Right. I just don't have the bandwidth yeah. and it's not actually anything wrong with you. It's just that I, I don't have it. So I'm not going to do it. The capacity. No. And then, and even if you, you did, you wouldn't show up in the best version of yourself. So no. it wouldn't actually serve anybody. No, I absolutely love this. Now I want to ask you then, did you ever struggle or through guilt? Because guilt is something that a lot of women, I, I just said, I saw the eyes going. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Guilt is something I get asked about. I don't go a week without a message about guilt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, guilt all comes back to that indoctrination. It's like, what were my f- family expectations of me raising my child? What were my community and society's expectations of raising a child? So I'm talking about like mom guilt here because mm. there's a lot hinged on women need to, what's the quote where women need to raise a kids as though they don't have a job, but then, and then have, have a, a job, job as if they don't have kids. Yes. Yes. Like Good bravo to the <laughs> idiot who said that because said I'm, that. So you can choose 
you can, how about this? How about we choose what we want to do mm-hmm. and we love it. And the mm-hmm. people that don't agree with it are not supposed to be in our lives to begin with. No. And if they are, then they have a lesson to learn because if you're mm-hmm. fulfilled and you're happy because you're doing your thing, then it shouldn't matter what other people think. Cause yeah. here's the thing is a good relationship with anybody, a friend, a family, is where you can have a colossal disagreement on something, but still respect somebody's position. Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. And that's like what I think I wasn't saying before, and I love how you just said that, is that we can have differing opinions, but we should still be yeah. respecting each other for having. Yeah. We all we all have our, I, I said this when my kids were little, we don't share a brain, we all have our yep. own brain. So if that was your decision, that's your choice, that you made that choice. Like that's, and that's okay. We can all have differing opinions, but we still respect each other. Exactly. Yep. And a perfect example, and this is just small is there's a little situation that happened at my boy's school. So they go to an all French school Mm -hmm. and my oldest brought an English comic book to, to school because he bought it with his own money. He was proud of it. It was something he wanted to read after school, but I guess at school he showed it to some friends and it it's pretty much like the reaction, and I'm totally blowing this out of proportion, but the reaction that I felt that he got for having an English book in the school is almost like he brought a playboy into school. Okay. <laughs> and so he came home and he told me oh. about it. And I was like, so like, he was so sad. And then his book, he like the teacher told him to book his book, put his book away in which he forgot it at school. And so I posted this on, on Facebook and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm so disappointed that this happened to Max and like, especially on the East coast, but there's this ongoing feud with the French and the English Oh, where, like, big the French time. Are really trying hard to like protect and preserve their language. And I get it, mm-hmm. but it comes at a cost. And so one of my best friends was like, well, I actually agree with the teacher. And I was like, I don't agree with my, one of my best friends saying this. Mm-hmm. And then we went back and forth as to why. And I went to bed that night. I didn't care. And then she was texting me. She's like, oh my God, I read my comment and I feel like I'm probably wasn't the nicest version of myself. And I'm so sorry. And I was like, this was like the ultimate test of a friendship. If we can disagree on something Mm -hmm. and be okay with it. I wasn't insulted. She goes, okay, good. And so like that is emotional intelligence. It's maturity. But so in coming back to the mom guilt thing, you feel guilty because somebody made you feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. And you're probably listening to the wrong person then. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Shame is such a big, big topic because it's it really is for someone to make someone else feel ashamed or to put that on them is really just more about this person and their beliefs and what that is as opposed to you doing something wrong. See, a shame is just something I... It sounds weird to say, but I like talking about it because I like to bring a voice to the topics that people don't want to talk about because that's how we change the shame game. We change it. And (laughs) I don't know. I didn't mean to say it like that, but you know what I mean? But we do, we change that. And I think the more we feed it, the more we feed shame, the more it grows, right? Just a monster. It really is. And the more we talk about it, the less it can live. So it's okay that we can respectfully still disagree with each other, but it doesn't mean we have to, like, we're not all, all out against each other. So it's a really interesting, that's a, that's a really interesting example. And I just knew that would be something that I wanted to talk to you about was the guilt piece. Cause I know a lot of moms Mm -hmm. could relate to that. A lot of moms. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 
can relate to that. So now you are, I see you, you've got a podcast. You have, um, tell us about the different facets of your business. So podcast is Mm -hmm. called into the wild. Mm -hmm. And so I have a coach, I have private coaching program and masterminds. Nice. And so my plan for this year was very different than how it actually happened (laughs) because of COVID, but the business just took a a very amazing turn. Like Mm. I exceeded my revenue expectations. I ended up working with the most beautiful women from every facet. Um, great women in Europe and Canada and the States. And it's just been, it's a beautiful journey so far. That's wonderful. I can't tell you, I know that this has been a very challenging year for a lot of people. I can't tell you how many people I have spoken to who said they've made, this has been their best year. They've made, they found ways they've pivoted. They've done things. They've found ways to grow their business, show up differently, hire the coaches, whatever it is, or just made the decision that they were going to do something different this year. And I, to me, there's been so many lessons in perspective this year. And what we focus on is what we see. So I, that is just something that I have really, really found. What has been your number one lesson this year going through owning a business, being a mom, dealing with all of the changes the world has, has thrown at you? What do you think your number one lesson has been? The lesson is, oh my gosh, there's a lot, but I feel like there's always a silver lining mm-hmm. and you should only pay attention to the things you can control. So there's a lot of people that they can, oh, you know, the world is happening to them. As Tony Robbins says, if you change your perspective, the world happens for you. And yes, it's hard to say if you're a single mom and you lost your job, I get it. But there's this silver lining. It's like, did you really love the job? Were you commuting two hours a day because of the job? Like where, what was the negative in the job to begin with? Mm-hmm. Um, some businesses had to shut down and that's unfortunate. And they took a hit and I luckily wasn't in that position but we have given back to our community as much as we can and helping coach people and just like get them through this rough spot. But I see these same people thriving because they choose to. Mm-hmm. The people that are still sitting at home crying about it are victims. Mm-hmm. They allowed it to happen to them and they weren't quick enough to pivot or quick enough to like ask for help or quick enough to do the thing. And yes, I feel for them, but at the same time, it's like, get off your butt, <laughs> like well, go and do yeah. something. You have to do something. And if you, I mean, being trapped as a victim, I think a lot of us have had at one point in our lives, we can reflect and realize that we've done that, but nothing changes from that state. And that's, no. the, it, it actually physically can't, because you're actually not even looking for an option because you're yeah. too busy looking at where you're stuck. Yeah. I don't know and how change- many times I hear that a week. I'm stuck. I'm like, not stuck. You're not stuck. Yeah. Like It's not, it's a word. It's yeah. you're not stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And change can only happen if you do something different because mm-hmm. like, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, it's just going to get the same results. And you know that. So, Hey, mm-hmm. this thing happened to your business. You lost your revenue. You had to lay off people. I get, I've, I've seen it from companies that were making millions of dollars with hundreds of employees. Mm-hmm. That's beyond my level of comprehension. But those same people are like this crappy thing happened. I took a few days for myself, but this is how we're going to change the situation going forward. Mm-hmm. And they were able to like find these, their employees, a new job or rehire them within a couple of months or do whatever they can. Oh. And it's huge lesson learned, 
there's also now these companies that are creating these new procedures, these new policies. I actually just did a Facebook Live on the, the new economy of PR. And that PR for any business is about leadership and policy. Yes, mm. the table stakes for your services or your product is it has to be good. The food has to taste good. The clothes have to be comfortable. You know, your crystals have to have good energy. Beyond that, it's like, what is the policy of the company? What is the leadership like? That That's the hook. And so mm-hmm. looking at these businesses that had to shut down or pivot or do something incrementally different is like they're being the most epic leaders in our time. Like they're creating history. Mm-hmm. Shopify, for instance, oh, their business grew astronomically because now everyone's starting a business. They want to use Shopify. But what they did in retaining their employees is they created this new po- policy is that now it's indefinite that if you want to work from home, you can, there's no pressure to come into an office. So people are saving commute time. It's actually better for the environment because there's less traffic on the roads, like all these things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's great policy. That's great leadership. Yeah. Right. That but is- yes, the businesses just like, and in life, like business or in relationships or parenting, it's like this really crappy thing happened, but how do you get stronger because of it? So mm-hmm. my youngest Noah broke his arm when he was three. And he had to have surgery on it. And it happened right in front of me. Like, could not have like, nope. It just like, if I would have bubble wrapped it, it's just like slow motion. I'm like, (laughs) I can see it. And it happened. Oh, yeah. And it was like on my watch. And I was like, of course, the mom who wants to bubble wrap her kids. Um, And it's just emotionally of all of them, even including Noah, I was the one that was just devastated by this. Mm -hmm. So go to the hospital. He has a surgery in the morning. And that the day of the surgery was a Monday. That was when we were supposed to leave for a one week family vacation to Prince Edward Island. And we were going within a family and we had a cottage, like all of it. We're so excited. So I asked Noah that day, surgery was at eight. We were discharged at one. So I told my husband, grab Max, you guys head over to PEI. If Noah wants to stay at home for a few days, we'll do that. Just don't let this stop. You guys go have fun. And then 1 p.m. We're loading stuff up into the car from the hospital. And I was like, no, what do you want to do? Do you want to like stay home and like relax and just be with me? And he goes, no, let's go to the cottage. Let's have some fun. I was like, okay. At the time I was reading this book called The Obstacle is Away by Ryan Holiday. And it talks about being a, being stoic. Mm -hmm. And I, we've had this book on our shelf for years and there was nothing in me that ever called me to read this book. And then it was like, somehow we were cleaning and ended up on the top of the pile. And I was like coming home from the hospital. I'm like, hmm, I feel like I should read this book now. So yes, his broken arm could have ravished me for weeks and I could have felt guilty that I could have saved him, but I didn't. But reading this book, I understood the lesson in it mm-hmm. is that we tend to like way overthink things. Mm-hmm. You know what he was doing the next day? He was on a roller coaster. The kid was fine. He was fine. (laughs) And I was like, meanwhile, I'm like, I'm the worst mother ever. And he's like, mama, it's okay. I got this. And I'm reading the book, like turning the pages. You overthink things. (laughs) Oh, I just think that sums up so many things that we do overthink. We do overthink. (laughs) And then a lot of the guilt that we carry, we're putting back on ourselves for no reason. Like it's yeah. not, it's, it's no reason, but we're doing that ourselves. But I love that you said that. Um, I'm, I'm reading that book now and I just love the little stories in it. I love how, yeah, we start to, it how we look at and the obstacles that we see and what meaning we give them is what dictates yeah. how we continue to show up. 
Yeah. yeah. And most things are not that big of a deal. Mm-mm. Make no. them that big of a deal. So like, yeah. I actually had a friend, uh, a phone call with a friend today. We're talking about, we hadn't spoken in a while, but we're talking about just like how the people we see in our lives have had like health issues during COVID because they're super stressed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, there's this whole other, like, there's this whole other pandemic coming. There's two of them coming that have nothing oh, to do yeah. with the virus. There's the mental pandemic and then this long-term repercussions of being stressed. And I said, these could be far worse than the virus themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but how, like, how can we manage the stress? Because you're, we're always in this unknown. Like we went into lockdown. The world was locked down for two months. We're yes. like, when are we coming out of this? Mm-hmm. We didn't know. And like we're surviving and then the summertime things got a little bit better, but people started getting sick, strep throat, like high or low, um, heart rates, like all these things were happening, young people too. And it's like, I can't say that, you know, you should have dealt with this differently because I went through it too, but Hey, next pandemic, if it happens in our lifetime, we'll know how to manage this, (laughs) but it's a lesson learned, Mm -hmm. right? It is. It absolutely is. And I, I don't think I I love how you worded that and how you explain that, because I think that, that our perspective and what we call it is, is everything as we have been, we are just entering in less than this will air later, but we're two days away from entering full lockdown in our province again. And it, I, I, I went to the mall this morning because my phone was ready to be picked up and I could just feel this energy. I'm like, Marcia, you're going in, getting what you need, and you're going home. Like, it's just, I don't need to soak in any of this energy because we we had kind of made a agreement in our family that, I mean, Christmas is wonderful, but it's a day. It's, it is a, it's a, it's a day. We're not going to fall apart if we can't figure this out. And if we don't have any gifts for each other, we'll be fine too. Like it's, it's yeah. all good. Let's not just bring it down a couple notches it's okay. And I know I say that and someone's going to listen to this and be absolutely mortified that I would say that about Christmas, but it's a day. And so let's just, I could the energy, anyways, the energy there, the energy there, I just, part of me wants to just say to people, do you realize that you are the one creating this energy? You are the one putting this out now, collectively, we're all feeding off of each other with it. When we could take responsibility for the energy that we bring into the space. Yes. We used to have a sign that said, don't or be responsible for the energy that you bring into this room. So basically it's like, don't come in here. <laughs> if this is not going to work out, like just don't, because I'm a certified Reiki practitioner, level two, I believe in energy <sighs> mm-hmm. and I can sense the offness of somebody. That's, that's totally a word just based on their demeanor, everything, like mm-hmm. their expressions, their tone of their voice, like something's off mm-hmm. and women especially absorb that. And I think like we're, kind of, I agree. Um, we're wired for that. Mm-hmm. We're wired to like sense that in somebody. And then we all of a sudden take this energy on ourselves and we put it on us. We don't need to. No, Cause all of a sudden we're like, did I make the mat? Did I do something? And I'm like, no, it actually had nothing to do with you. <laughs> nothing yeah. to do with you at all. Oh, this is, that's a great conversation. And I love that you're saying that because I think I know people will be able to relate to that. I want to mm-hmm. ask you, you had put something in your form to me that I loved is how to uncondition yourself to fulfill your dharma. How do we uncondition people to fulfill their dharma? How do we do that? Oh my, it's so much work. I I don't want to scare you, but it is like this 
for me, this like this thing just happened maybe a month ago for mm-hmm. my husband and I when we would like butt heads on things parenting wise or like logistics of travel. And I'm like, why are we fighting about the same things? Like what, what is it in this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he came in, he goes, I've had this revelation with my father and he tells me about it. And then I was like, wow, that's amazing that you can like feel that now and understand this in this relationship. And then he leaves to come into the kitchen to pour himself a a cup of coffee. And I'm in the bathroom putting on my makeup. And I was like, oh my God, I just realized something about myself and all this too, was that I have this insatiable need to have his approval And what I realized, the things that get me anxious was like the decisions I make that give me anxiety is because I subconsciously ask myself, what would my mother think? Oh, wow. Who cares about my, I mean, I love my mother. You can say whatever you want. Really? (laughs) Who cares about what she thinks? Really? I am a grown woman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am my own life. But I was like, oh my God, everything, the food I packed in their lunch, when they went to bed, how much water they drank was all because I grew up, I was conditioned to believe they needed to have this like perfectly balanced diet according to like 1970s health Canada nutrition. Mm, Um, they needed to, you know, it's just like, whoa, because at the time that's what she know. And and that was right. What was right. And now I grew up this way thinking like another example is I grew up with very strict table manners. You can't Mm -hmm. have elbows on your table. I don't have a single friend here who follows these rules at all. And I'm like, oh my, like I wanted to puke you eating with your elbows on the table. Oh my God. Right. I look at my husband, his friends, all of their friends, my boys. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. Screw it. I'm not going to have this fight. I'm not. I'm going to tell them, listen, I believe it looks better if you don't eat with your elbows on the table. That is what I believe. I don't like it, but if you need to do it, then balls in your court. (laughs) So when you talk about like indoctrination or like unconditioned, I've been conditioned to think, oh, like proper way of eating at a table is no elbows on the table. Probably Mm -hmm. still like a standard, but it's not going to get you kicked out of a restaurant. (laughs) No. Um, So you have to uncondition yourself from the beliefs that don't serve you, that you can either subconsciously figure out or consciously know to serve your dharma, which is your purpose, your calling, right? So it could be as a mother, as an entrepreneur, whatever it is, right? As mm-hmm. a CEO or somebody that works in your community, because as long as it's not illegal, yes, <laughs> it's the way that the the way that you were raised, your culture, your society tells you there's certain expectations of you that you might not agree with, and mm-hmm. it gives you stress because, like, I don't necessarily agree with this, but I got to do it because everyone expects this of me and that's what causes the stress. mm -hmm. And then it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're putting that stress and creating that stress because of what you think you're supposed to be able to do or what you think you're supposed to be able to. Yeah. I, I had this conversation with my mom, not um, a number (laughs) of years ago. And it actually is interesting. You just said that because she was just, you know, at that time in the seventies, you, she did work full time. She did all of the tasks at home, like literally everything. And as well as taking care of the kids at the same time. And she's like, well, I did that when I was your age. I'm like, but were you happy? Like, did you, did you actually, I asked were you happy? And she's like, oh, I had no time for happiness. Like that was just not how, like, it just was, you, you carried it and you did it all. And I'm like, yes, but I know deep down you resented it. 
I know you did because you're human and because it wasn't possible. So it's really just undoing what we believe we're supposed to be doing. And then exactly to use that. That's awesome. I love that. It's just like, there's a lot of my friends that true, like they elected not to have children. They don't Mm want to have kids because it's just, they don't want to. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, let's talk about this. I have like kids or not. I don't care. And it's just, it's just, so heartbreaking the pressure that they feel mm-hmm. from other people to have children. I'm like, mm-hmm. we're going to regret it later. And you're like, well, maybe they will, but they don't, they don't want kids mm-hmm. or like the pressure for some people to start a business when they don't want to, or well, just, I mean, you think about all of these the parts of your life from people that you admire. And that's the worst. If you respect and admire these people and they're telling you something you don't believe there's like this inclination to do it or be that mm-hmm. person or adopt that identity because that person told you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. I know that too will resonate with people. And I know it sounds easy if you're listening. Um, it's what, what do they say? <laughs> it's simple, not easy. It's, it really is just being clear on what it is that you want, what you want to create, what you want to do, and then being able to follow through with that, even if that's not exactly how you were raised. And that's okay. Exactly. And that's, that's the hard part because we think for the most part, so from my perspective, and this is not necessarily true for everybody, from my perspective is we were either raised and to maintain the standards in which we were raised and like, we believe that, or we were raised with the meaning to run away from it. So like those, like Mm -hmm. the chaos running Mm -hmm. towards the chaos because you're running away from the chaos, but why? Right. So there, you have to understand these things. So understanding the beliefs, like the belief systems, um, how you were raised, the rules that in the book, the code of the extraordinary mind, he calls them rules, which mean bad rules. So what are the bad rules you need to toss out? Because they don't like, right. The stupid example that if you put up your Christmas decorations before November 11th, it means you have such disrespect for veterans. I'm like, <laughs> excuse me. What? Yeah. <laughs> Like it, we heard that one not that long ago because it was, we had a really warm weekend, the weekend before the 11th. And my husband was like, I'm going to put them up, but I won't turn them on. And I hope that that's okay. And I'm like, with who, what do you mean? Yeah. And he's like, well, it's not, yeah. it's supposed, not supposed to be respectful. And I'm like, okay, I missed that one. I totally missed that one, but I have heard it now multiple times. Right. And the people that I'm telling you are just, are disrespected by other people. They're not even going to the services. They're not even giving to the veterans Mm -hmm. affairs. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, but so you gotta be like, Hmm, yes, you're going to piss some people off. Absolutely. But Mm -hmm. their opinion of you is none of your business because it's a reflection of the way they were raised. Their belief system could be right or wrong. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Who cares? It doesn't matter. you got to be giving less Fs about things because if it's not going to make you happy or fulfill you or serve you or help you serve other people, don't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't believe it. I, I think you pretty much nailed it right there because we're back to energy again. And if you're going to put a ton of energy into things that don't matter and then be angry because you don't have anything left to do the things that you want to, you don't realize how much you're carrying that was never actually yours to carry anyways. Right. Exactly. And you carry so much of other people's stuff. Oh, it's not for you to carry at all. No, 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 not at all. 
So tell us where do you, are you pretty much on Instagram the most? Is that the best place for people to connect with you? And I'll make sure everything's yeah, in the I show love, notes. I love Instagram. So Renee underscore Warren mm-hmm. is my personal one. Um, then my business one is we.wild.women. So we wild women. Um, Facebook love too. <laughs> I know. I love that name. I think it's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Cause when I was first trying to, like, I was talking to some branding specialists about the name. I was like, what do you think about this? And one woman's like, you might get some interesting search results. And I'm like, why? I was oh. like, Oh, I get it now. Wild women. I was like, yeah, whatever. If they come to my page, I can educate them a thing or two about finding their avatar. <laughs> there you <laughs> might go. Not be what they're there for, <laughs> but, um, yeah. And then they, anybody can email me Renee at wewildwomen.com. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I have two questions for you that I want to ask to round up things. What impact do you want to create in the world? Mm, I want to inspire and motivate and educate over a million women to start their dream Mm. business. I love that. Absolutely love that. Um, last question. First off, thank you so much. I've just loved this conversation. I really have. I cannot wait. Um, what lesson in life are you most grateful for? I know. Too many. Too many. Um, what comes to your mind first? Wipe front to back. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you're a woman, (laughs) Um, I I don't know. There's a lot. I think right now, though, is I think is to love unconditionally. Um, But I and I really do want to uh, emphasize this one is to see the good in everyone. And there's a lot of people and leaders that we disagree with in this world, we have to understand where they're coming from too. And if you think about the conversation we just had about the way you were raised, indoctrination, the need for significance, um, understand that there's good in everybody. Maybe no one believed in them. And so they're doing anything for attention. It could be negative attention. Mm-hmm. Kids do that a lot. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. But there is, so try to see the good in everyone. Mm. I, that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much, Renee, for this conversation. Honestly, I absolutely loved it. And I love connecting with you and learning more about you. I cannot wait for the show to to come out into the world. So thank you so much. Yes. Well, thanks for having me, Marcia. It was so much fun, despite my kids screaming in the background. Hey, this is what we do, right? (laughs) This is what we do. They were amazing. It's all good. I'm more about the real anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.